I'm Grace. And I'm Madeline. And we are Dragon Babies. Dragon Babies. We reread our favorite Y fantasy classics and discuss why they may be even better for adults. Yes. This week, The Headless Cupid by Zilpha Keatley Snyder. Yeah. Another Zilpha Keatley Snyder. Z-K-S. She's so incredible. Yeah. This book was published in 1972. It makes up what I think of as a personal holy trinity of the Witches of Worm, the Egypt game, and the Headless Cupid. Yeah. I think they are three points of the same triangle. Three portions of the Triforce, if you will. (laughs) And each of them ventures in a different extreme of horror comedy and action yeah (laughs) and then there's like a beautiful diagram of overlapping components of each for for each of those three books um yeah as you can probably guess these three books were hugely important to me as a kid and I'm excited to cover more Zilpha in general I we really want to read some of the Green Sky trilogy and cover that on Mm. the podcast but We've never read that before. It's been requested by many different listeners, and I know we're going to be obsessed with it, but I felt it was important to cover this first to finish out her books that were hugely influential. Yeah, that's fair. Personally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So that's my little uh, egocentric ramble. (laughs) Um, (laughs) It's not, Grace, this is our podcast. Yes, true. We, you are we get to talk about what we want Expecting that to. I talk about how I feel about a book. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> this book was a noob honor. It did not receive the medal, but Just it was honor. up against some stiff competition. A few books I haven't read, but then also <laughs> The Tombs of Atuan. Oh, <laughs> um, okay. Wow. Which didn't win the book that did win is mrs frisbee and the rats of nim hmm. which i do love um we're not going to cover on the podcast because it's not fantasy um yeah but i'm surprised that that beat out the tombs of atuan which it's a really good I, book i think of as one of my favorite books um it's it's definitely one of my favorite uh um Ursi books. Yeah. Ursula K. Le Guin. So, anyway, that's just a little niblet for all of you to ponder. A noob niblet. That's what that's noob nib. Noob nib. What a horrible word. <laughs> noob nib is disgusting. Noob nib sounds, sounds like, like a lizard that is like always barfing. <laughs> I was, yeah, I was going to say some like horrible Harry Potter creature the that's noob used noob, in yes. herbology. Yes, exactly. Like, Pull it out and you, it's just you like, walk in and Hermione's like, it's noob nibs today. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, we do thoroughly spoil every book that we cover. So if you haven't read this one before, I definitely recommend checking it out. Each of the three books in the Trinity I just mentioned can be read in like two to three hours. They're quick, they're super fun, and they are so atmospheric that when you step away from the book, it feels like you're coming out of a trance. And who doesn't want that? Some free book drugs. (laughs) Get into it. (laughs) And they're they're impressively timeless as well. I'm always surprised when I'm reminded of when these books were published. Um, Because this one... It's hard to touch down on a specific year while you're reading them. Yeah, this is like 50 years old, this book. Yes, (laughs) it is. It's 51 years old. Half a century, yeah. Before we 
get into things. We'll talk about how the publisher chose to package and promote this book. Um, I remember this cover. Yes. So I don't, I don't have the name of the artist in front of me because again, I don't have my physical copy with me because I don't have any of my belongings. It looks like it's signed. It says like, yes, their signature is on it. D.F. Henderson. Yeah, I can't remember what their name is, but it's the same <laughs> artist that did all of these yearling Newberry yeah, covers yeah. Um, for the Egypt game, which is a forum as well. It's a very realistic acrylic painting that represents a specific moment from the book. Look In at the case, Cupid's butt. <laughs> that butt. I'm so glad you brought it up. As, you know, Tina Belcher's rising, yeah. you know, that both of us are going to zone in on the buttocks it is so lovingly rendered and is in fact glowing in the flashlight there's there's beautiful highlighting done on the buttocks the headless cupid more like the thick cupid am i right (laughs) yeah we're good well it really does draw a lot of focus but the actual main (laughs) subjects depicted here are David walking up the stairs holding a flashlight to investigate the scary thing that happened behind him is Amanda with her hand up to her chin saying, oh no. In front of them is the mysterious dusty box that contained rocks and a slingshot and the titular. Well, it's not technically titular because it's about the headless body, not the head itself. <laughs> the the implication. Mm-hmm. Right, the implied head uh, <laughs> from the title. That is one cobwebby box. Mm-hmm. How do all those spiders get in there if it's a closed box? It also appears from the cobwebs that the box has been laying open at the top of the stairs for hundreds of yeah, years. Yeah, right. It's supposed to have just been found and dropped yeah. there. I guess it's but, like a, a, you know, snap out of time, basically. Like, that's kind of the way that it's, I get the feeling from it in the book. We have the focus on one of the most exciting moments from the plot. We have the big noob metal taking up a good eighth of the cover. We have <laughs> the, I, I was, I would just like lust after this kind of cover when I was a kid, whenever there was any kind of like realistic painting of other kids engaging in some kind of whimsical task. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's, it's, ju- it's, it's just a great cover. Feels so good. Yeah. <laughs> And I am in. Also, this style is so recognizable as having been like hugely popular with children's literature publishers yeah. when we were children. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, like yeah. this is such a like late 80s treatment of mm-hmm. children's books. It reminds and me so of like the Boxcar Kids, like Babysitter's some, Club, yeah. Nancy Drew. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and... I absolutely love it. I wish that more covers were still made this way. And it's it's funny because obviously the mansion was not, or the Westerly house was not supposed to be built in the 70s, but it's definitely got some 70s uh, styling here with that <laughs> yeah. like yellow, the bright yellow uh, wallpaper. And then there's like the wood planking below that. But the honestly... High- 
the high wood molding, dark wood molding yeah. and paneling coming all the way up the staircase. Yeah. yeah. But I'm actually kind of into it. It especially like I don't know, like it doesn't look cheesy from this picture. It seems like well, it's cohesive. And I think this is a newer cover because the older edition has a cover that's illustrated by Alton Rabel, who does all the illustrations that are inside each of these books, the Holy Trinity I refer to again. Um, and it's a, you know, sketch of the headless Cupid mm. um, and nothing else, just kind of a center charcoal okay. sketch. Um, and I know you always read audiobooks, but I think I've shown you the illustrations from the Witches of Worm and the Egypt game. Mm-hmm. So you have an idea yeah. of what they're like. This book doesn't have very many. I think as a whole, okay. they're like like six or seven illustrations. Interesting. Um, I guess it's not a very long book. important moments. Okay. Yeah. But I really love his style, and I'll put some of them up on our website, dragonbabiespodcast.com. He, he just perfectly fits ZKS's work. Okay. Yeah. Um, is this, did, sorry, did you say, is this one of the original um, printings? Or no. no, later? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I see it's $3, and I'm like, that seems more like an early 90s I, price. I don't know what that a, is. <laughs> than a <laughs> so, 70s price. I, I, this was the high, the highest resolution image I could find, and it was from an eBay listing. So, like, I, oh, I have I no see. idea okay. of the origin of any of that. It's just yeah. a really funny, like, Son, that's a special low price, two ninety nine. Two ninety nine. Four fifty k. I know. We have to like put some more time into it and find a better version for actually posting. Um, but we'll do that later because, unsurprisingly, Danville's library does not have this book, and this book <laughs> on, is one of Zelda Keeley Snyder's books that has been consistently banned and challenged because it has to do with children practicing "quote unquote" witchcraft. Um, and that is something else that the Holy Trinity shared. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to start calling it the HT. Good, good, good. Um, this, the ZKS HT. Yeah. <laughs> That's not hard to say. <laughs> it's a great acronym. Anyway, so Madeline, would you like to take us into a plot summary? Yeah. The core cast of characters here. We have the parents, um, Jeff and Molly Stanley. Uh, they are freshly married. Um, they ha- um, Dave, <laughs> right? <laughs> or Dan? Dave or Dan? Not I Jeff. Thought, I thought David is the name of the kid. Do we know what his name is? So this this summary that I found is calling him Jeff. That's why I called him oh, Jeff. Oh, <laughs> okay. Thank you. I was like, where did Jeff come from? <laughs> I'm so sorry to be so annoying. Please, <laughs> please summarize. Who is Jeff? <laughs> Perhaps Jeff, but definitely dad. And (laughs) Molly uh, just got married. Jeff uh, or dad, dad's wife (laughs) died. (laughs) She died the year before. And uh, um, so now he and Molly just got married. Uh, Molly has a daughter who is like 13? 12. She's 12. Um, Her name is Amanda. And uh, uh, dad has four children, um, David, Janie, Blair, and Esther, or Tesser. Uh, David's 11, Janie's 6, and then Blair and Tesser are 4, and they're twins. Um, they are very precocious. They are quite intelligent and talkative and active. Very impressive. Mm-hmm. 
Very cute, very funny, yeah. great to spend time with. Yeah, I like them a lot. Uh, so they have to buy a house because they have a new big family, um, and uh, they make a note that the only place where they could buy a house that was big enough for the price that they were at uh, was in Stevens Corners, which is Stevens like Corners. like a rural, uh, old-timey town, kind of. We never get an indication of where they are. Do no. We? They talk about the city, the country, and Stevens Corners. Which I think... <laughs> and that's it. Zelfa Keatley Snyder is very California-centric and typically sets everything in and around northern Berkeley and northern California. Yeah. Um, and the only place name we get is University of California being where dad went to college. Yeah. So that could not, it could be in the same state or not, but we don't know where he teaches. We never get that. So yeah. So maybe, maybe California that, that feels very deliberate. Um, mm-hmm. even though I listened to the audiobook and everyone has American accents, it was still, mm-hmm. uh, I still tended to imagine that this was in the English countryside. Um, just really, yeah, I I got oh. that kind of like isolated uh, uh like it reminded me of um Tamson. Yeah. 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 I thought about Tamson a lot. Tamson by Peter S. Beagle. Check out our episode on that book. Incredible poltergeist book. But ultimately, I didn't think the setting was that important like the or rather the settings placement in our world so much as like the setting itself as its own thing. Um, mm-hmm. So it didn't feel important to me to like orient it, if that makes, that makes sense, because it feels guess, very encapsulated. Well, and I have a personal bias because Zilpha Keeley Snyder made me obsessed with Northern California as a child. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, it's always very like firmly rooted in place for me. So interesting. Anyway, still made it to the West Coast. Just <laughs> it's true. Don't actually want to live in the Bay Area. So no, thank you. No, we'll have to go further north now. as time goes on. Probably, anyways. Yes. So uh, okay, so they're somewhere. They are in Stevens Corners, <laughs> um, and the place that they end up buying for the family is called the Old Westerly House. Um, which did make me speaking think, of Nancy Drew. Come on, yeah, yeah. It did also make me think of the Winchester Mystery House, just because it had kind of like a classic old vibe with like some secrets. So the two women who lived in the house for like fifty years before it went to the family, um, there's kind of rumors that there was a poltergeist causing troubles in the house. Um, and uh, the most notable thing is that there was a the headless cupid, um, a cupid whose head is missing. And it is supposed that the poltergeist had something to do with it, um, but nobody knows where the head went. And that is like kind of the start of things when the family moves into the house. That's the situation. Amanda shows up. She is Molly's child from a former marriage. Amanda's mom her ex-husband is still alive. It's not the situation like it is with the Stanley kids where their mom died the previous year. So Amanda comes from a divorced parent dynamic and the Stanley kids come from a dead mom perspective. <laughs> That's what's Thank you. going on. DMP. <laughs> That's where they're at. Okay, so David, he's basically the protagonist and he's around the same age as Amanda. 
he's very smart. He reads at a level five grades above his own, <laughs> as as his siblings note. Uh, and he's had to be kind of the surrogate mother to the, because the rest of the kids are quite young, six mm-hmm. and four. The twins are four. Uh and so he just kind of turned into the person that takes care of them. So he is growing up fast. And his, and his mom died of an illness. And he reflects at one point that she definitely knew that she was ill long before it even really manifested or became clear to the family. And that he believes that she was already beginning to kind of teach him to be a parent in her stead. Yeah, um, which is very sad. <laughs> it's very sad for a lot of reasons. Yeah. David is much older than he should have to be. Yeah, and the, the kids are not um, difficult. They seem quite lovely when it comes to... But they're not like, easy either. But they're still children. They're four and, and six. three kids, it's six hard. and under. Yeah. Um, as someone who has been a camp counselor, I can attest... It is very challenging. Yeah. Um, and it, the the dad is, he's a college professor, um, and he seems a lot less available just in general because of his work. Uh, Molly's an artist, so she can work from home more. <laughs> right. And there also is definitely a very gendered approach mm-hmm. to their yeah. various roles in the housework and the family, and there's like... <laughs> David too, it's so ingrained in everyone where it's like, yeah, so we don't need a housekeeper anymore because now we have a new mom and housekeeper and her name is Molly Mm -hmm. and she's just going to take care of every piece of domestic On top of also having her own job. (laughs) On top of having her own job and five children. (laughs) Yeah, including one that is horrible. (laughs) Challenging. (laughs) Let's talk about Amanda. Yeah. Um, so first, David does have some, like, clearly he has some personal magic of his own because he has premonitions. Uh, and it's talked about how he inherited that from his mother's side. Um, so it's it's kind of like a lost art that he has. And it seems like the kids have and that too. Blair Blair has stronger than anyone. Yeah. But Blair is the, the other, most magical. The other kids definitely also have some have their own innate power mm-hmm. of sorts. And Amanda doesn't. No. The Stanley kids do have their own magic. Um Amanda is very into knowing that this was written and published in the 70s is helpful um, because of the kind of magic that she is trying to use. It's very mm-hmm. um, new age. It's very much a jumble of other magical traditions, and it's very heavily influenced by um, like Renaissance, European Renaissance magic. Um, mm-hmm. which is when like the Raider Waite Smith deck, like the tarot deck uh, came out and there was all of this like, um, like Madame Blavatsky. Well, that was in the 1800s, but I'm going to, I'm going to put it from like 1600s to 1800s, that kind of occultism that is yeah. somewhat informed by older pagan um, tropes. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's very, um, it's pretty rigid when it comes yeah. down to it. Uh, 
and it's very ritualistic without there being much deeper meaning beyond like the okay. performance of it. Okay. If that makes sense. Yeah, um, I get that. So that's why like Amanda is very tied up in uh like the outward appearance of magic. Um yeah. and it makes sense if she doesn't actually have her own connection to magic, she doesn't actually she doesn't know what that means. She thinks that magic is just sticking to all these rituals and wardrobe and like tokens and touching people with a turkey bone. <laughs> Stuff like that. Roadkill lizard. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. um, Yeah. She is mad. She's mad that her parents got divorced. She's mad that she had to move away from the city, um, which that one valid. uh, And she had to move away from her best friend. Um, So the, the moving from the city to the countryside is definitely just not vibing well with her. Um, And so in order to deal with that, she is constantly launching psychological assaults upon Molly, her mother, Mm -hmm. (laughs) in like very calculated and cruel ways. Um, She starts teaching the kids how to get with her type of occultism, with her kind of magic. And from very early on, there's inklings um, because David uh, and more so Blair is clearly like powerful. Mm -hmm. um, And David knows that. And Amanda is completely unable to connect with Blair. Like she totally dismisses him. Yeah, uh, she doesn't even see him as a normal person. Yeah. And when I whenever I use the word normal, I'm using it with quotes. Um, Her normal. She sees him as like having some kind of like learning disability or problem communicating simply because he is very internal and takes his time um, speaking and sharing his thoughts, but is clearly so intelligent and listening very closely to everything that's going on. She's, yeah, she says some like pretty ableist things about him very casually that I really Mm -hmm. didn't like. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, Because it is, it is definitely very powerful to be super intentional with your actions and words. And I thought Blair was very cool especially for a four-year-old, <laughs> but even independent from that. I don't that. know. I've known some pretty cool four-year-olds. <laughs> At least one. <laughs> Talking about my half-sister. <laughs> so yeah, Amanda, she she promises to teach them about occultism because they're interested. They're, they're kids. They're like, whoa, this seems cool and fun and weird. Like, count me in. And she has yeah. them start doing all of these uh, tests to prove their worthiness for like, and then eventually they get to ascend to being magic users. They're initiated. Yeah. Um, And we pretty quickly find out that all of the tests that they're doing are designed to upset Molly. Mm-hmm. Um, and Dan, yeah, she really doesn't go after dad. No, she is going after Molly. Yeah. I love that we've settled on just calling him dad. Cause it sounds like he's our dad. I know. <laughs> If these kids get to be our siblings, I'm fine with that. I know. I'm in. <laughs> Molly, too. She seems great. Yeah, Molly does as seem a, great. As a 
step parent of sorts. <laughs> um, so, and Amanda also sees it as like, you know, oh, my mom doesn't like me. Like she wants to control me and stop me from studying this occult stuff. And it, that's not really want what's me to happening. be friends with Leah. Yeah, it sounds like Leah's probably just toxic. Um, and it's yes, not really she's... about the occult stuff. <laughs> she encourages her to steal for one thing. Yeah. And on top of that, I mean, we'll talk about this, but there's such a susceptibility with tween girls, especially those who are maybe quieter and more internal mm-hmm. to be manipulated by older or meaner yep. or um, just bossier <laughs> um, yep. girls. Mm-hmm. And they can get you into really bad situations. Um, and I know we've both had experiences like that as the aforementioned quieter, more internal girls who didn't have a lot of friends. I had some really if, rough times with my peers at many ages. <laughs> yes. Um, and so I think Leah very much falls into that category. Yeah. Uh, like there's at one point where Amanda just says, uh, Leah doesn't talk to adults because she doesn't have much use for them. And it just made me want to smack her. <laughs> I mean, I was with David the whole story. Every time Amanda was so rude to a grown up and David's like, <gasps> yeah, like, that's like, how I feel. Yeah, no, totally. <laughs> and also like as a kid, whenever there would be a kid who would be really rude to anyone, I'd always be like, <gasps> Pearl's clutched. <laughs> What's happening? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, so they're, they're going through all of these tests. They include having to carry reptiles inside their clothes for a full day uh which amanda is clearly trying to bother them with but the stanley kids are like we love reptiles yeah (laughs) yeah put it in my shirt it is directed at the stanley kids too like she's clearly trying to punish them as well she's trying to bother them she's mostly trying to bother molly her mom because molly has an irrational fear of slithery things Mm -hmm. due to an incident with a rattlesnake when she was a kid But I love the way that throughout the book, the Stanley kids poke holes in everything she throws at them and they turn it all into a whimsical comedic game. Yeah. They're just so delightful that nothing you try to challenge them with gets them down. So then they just like suck all the malice out of all the tasks that are set them. Yeah. And David's also trying to like keep from upsetting the adults along the way. Yeah. Yeah. Because he he's determined to not let Amanda get the better of him. Um, yeah. And it, without rising to her, I don't want to say rising to her level because she's not like above him, but, you know, escalating things to the place that she has taken them. Like mm-hmm. he's, he's choosing, you know, a peaceful resistance. Yeah. Yeah. Like I will pass your tests to, to mm-hmm. show you I can. Mm-hmm. Um, and also because the kids are having a lot of fun. <laughs> Yes. And it's summer, you know, they're all like running around outside together and it's good to be occupied. Yeah. Um, It is. It's important to note that something that really sealed my dislike of Amanda, the thing like I could have excused a lot as like, okay, like I know she just had to move from the city to the countryside and like her parents are divorced and she's like having a tough time. She is really abusive towards animals. Um, She doesn't see them as having 
any kind of like spirit or worth. Like she tries to get Tesser, I think, to or Jamie to kill her lizard so that they can use it in a ritual. Um, and luckily, they they remember that there's a roadkill lizard that they can grab. It's already dead. Um, and she also brutalizes her crow. Yeah. Um, Ro- roller. Roller. <laughs> roller is how they said it. Yeah. yeah. Um, which made me really upset because crows are amazing. Um, you actually should not keep them as pets. Uh, at if, least if anyone has listened to even a single Dragon Babies episode. <laughs> Probably know how Madeline feels about crows. (laughs) And I'm not like... Common theme here. I like, obviously, I'm not sure like how they'd fare in like a sanctuary situation or if they're like tame and they just like hang out, but they're allowed to fly away. But you cannot Mm -hmm. keep a crow in a cage like you could keep a budgie or something. They will go mad. Um, They're too smart. It's kind of like keeping a dolphin in a tank. Um, It's just not how the animal is wired to live. They're going to be miserable and lose their animal mind, which is really brutal. And even beyond that, she like hurts the crow. Like the crow gets out. She's a really bad pet mom. The crow gets out and she like violently grabs it and whips it back into the cage. And like the whole cage rattles and everything. Um, And and the animals. Oh, go ahead. No, I just really wanted justice for the crow. I wish that the crow would escape. Well, she gives the crow to Blair at the end. And that's true. Uh, I have that's true. the feeling that Blair is probably going to set that crow free. Because yeah. Blair has a pretty natural uh, ability to communicate with and comfort creatures. And he's already um, been talking to the crow. Already been talking to and feeding the crow. And the crow likes him from uh-huh. the start. Yeah. I really saw all of the the animals totally rejecting Amanda too as another level of she doesn't actually have any supernatural powers because she's the one who's constantly being like, yeah, well, you have to have a familiar and like a spirit creature. And that's my crow and my newt and my snake. And the rest of them are like, okay, but they all hate you and you seem to hate them yeah she doesn't seem to like them either she's just like exerting it's just her another power part of them. her facade and they're also she's also using them as signs that her terrible dad loves her because he bought them for her which i think he only did to make things uncomfortable and difficult for her mom i don't think it was yeah. even about her yeah no i think that that's her doing her that to molly awful is in large part a learned behavior from her horrible father um yeah who is not a good father like doesn't really have anything to give her but she's like very attached to the idea that he is good and molly is bad yeah um so amanda learns there were poltergeists in the house yes yeah after they they do like the rite of ascension and they become the magic users during the rite. Um, Amanda steals some really important objects to the children, uh, including their mother's ring. Um, but Blair knows where she hid it. She was pretending to be a spirit when she did that, but Blair knows where she hid them because Blair is actually magic. So he just grabs the ring and gives it back. Um, 
but so they're they're like through all of that and that's when Amanda learns about the poltergeist um or they they do a séance that's before that or are they trying to summon the poltergeist she goes to the library and learns by looking at old newspapers that there were girls around 12 who lived in the house and in like 1892 or something like that and at the time the house began being haunted by a poltergeist Mm -hmm. and there were rocks being thrown around and things falling over and such like and then the girls and the parents just left they just moved away so the poltergeist was never exercised or dealt with in any way so it still could be in the house and it's said that girls of a certain age create poltergeists or rather (laughs) activate them yeah um, which is also the underlying, you know, joke behind the whole story. Is that they pretend to be poltergeist. Girls of that age need an outlet and they're really not provided one by society. So they poltergeist. Yeah, they go poltergeisty. Um, so then Amanda goes poltergeisty. Uh, she <laughs> yeah. pretends to be the poltergeist. Um, yeah. She's like whipping rocks at everybody through windows uh, Molly is really freaked out. And while this is happening, um, the dad is on a like business trip, a geology field trip with the college that he teaches at, which does sound fun. Go like, look at rocks. <laughs> like, Oh, that's that kind of rock. And it's for three weeks during the summer. And I went to kind of a hippie school and there was something like this. Oh, interesting. <laughs> but it was all summer long and it, it was for geology majors. Um, I can't remember what it was called. Yeah. Cool. It was like called Summer Southwest or something like that because it was in um, Arizona. Yeah. Um, So Amanda gets caught by David and also Blair, right? Yes. David and Blair look out of David and Blair's bedroom door Mm -hmm. after they hear an incredible crash in the night and they see a ghostly figure go into Amanda's room, go into Amanda's (laughs) room. And then when Molly comes and is like, what's happening, Amanda, are you okay? She's like, Oh, I've, I've been asleep for hours. I couldn't possibly know what's going on. And David goes in and is like, your flashlight is warm. Boom. (laughs) (laughs) But they don't confront her. Um, No. And then, so there is actually a poltergeist also. <laughs> and we like finally get that. Um, although like some supernatural stuff has been going on the whole time, especially with Blair. Uh, Amanda just isn't really capable of seeing it and accepting it. So it doesn't like get talked about. Um, and She's very much of the school. If something that I have prescribed and expected doesn't occur, it means nothing, even though that's actually where the real magic lies. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So then a bunch of like rocks and dirt and stuff gets all thrown down the stairs in the middle of the night. Um, And Amanda and David are together watching TV when this happens. So he knows it wasn't Mm -hmm. her. For once there's proof that she's not involved and she's uh, genuinely afraid. Yeah. And that's when she starts telling him, like, oh, yeah, I did this stuff. You yeah. are right. I did this stuff. 
Molly gets home with her friend from going to pick her up to stay with her because she's gotten so freaked out and dad is away. Yeah. And she's like, oh my God, this is so awful. What are we going to do? And they just clean it up and are like, we'll work on it tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, so then we find out that Blair was the one that did the rocks and the debris and stuff and threw it all down the stairs. But And the most important part that we didn't even mention, which is that the head of the Cupid was in that box as well. Yes. Yeah. It turns out it had been hiding there all along. And Blair shares that a ghost girl told him to get the box, to bring out the Cupid's head. Um, he just shares this with David privately. Yeah. Yeah. No, he, he only tells David about this. Um, and, uh, he doesn't really talk about it other than just kind of telling him that he got the box and that it was time for the Cupid's head to be returned. Um, and then like, we, we don't really get anything more about the ghost or the poltergeist or just the ghost poltergeist. And that's kind of where the book is. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, can I add a few things? <laughs> I'm just looking at your eyes and I can tell that you're like, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> no, that's just all I can remember. <laughs> so in the end, David and Blair decide they're not going to tell anyone else about this because it's actually helpful for Amanda to be scared a little okay. bit yeah. of what's going on in the house and deciding that there is actually some kind of poltergeist there who is probably irritated by her pretending to be it. Okay. And yeah. along the way, she has fallen in love with the children and been playing with them and taking care of them and being really kind to them. And she gives her crow to Blair and gives her snake and reptile, her newt, <laughs> um, to <laughs> Janie and David and is clearly interested in investing in her new family and her new home and trying to move forward along a healthier path than the one that she was on before coming to the house. And so it's really so, just her starting to accept them because of what's happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also because they're like super lovely and sweet. I know, that's and the thing. They're great. They, they've been so welcoming and respectful to her while at the same time gently poking holes in everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she they do in. call her on her stuff. <laughs> they really do. Um, and I think it's such an interesting moment, the ending of, you know, this only child coming from a family where the parents were really unhappy together to entering into a large family of very involved, engaged kids and parents who love each other and realizing that she may actually have the better end of the deal at, at the end now. Yeah, I remember this. It just happened so it was so brief at the very end after she was a jerk for the whole book that so I guess I didn't really okay. believe her. <laughs> Why don't we go right into old and new impressions <laughs> and we can talk about Amanda because I also have strong feelings about her, but I'm also willing to like make a bit of a case for her. Um, and I mean, like whereas, I said, there's there's some stuff I understand too. Like I, I get it. It sounds tough. Well, okay, so... Have you read this book? I'm pretty sure I did. I uh, 
I think that might be part of why I had such a strong emotional response to Amanda. Um, because I think I, I hated her as a child. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I didn't understand why, uh, like, cause it seems like a very lovely, nice family. She got, she had all these new friends and the little kids that like really want to be her bros. And she is just like viciously refuting everything, um, as hard as she can, even though she is now in a pretty nice spot. Like she's, she's past the tough stuff and like, yeah, when I'm a little kid, I'm going to be less emotionally understanding of like what it's like to like totally change your settings and like all the people around you like that. Um, and especially because her father sounds very malicious and Mm -hmm. evil, (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I just remember being like, what is your freaking problem woman? Like what? Just come on. Like there's all this magic stuff going around. You could just like hang out and have a good time and you're just trying to hurt everybody. Um, and then as an adult, like, like I said, I still had a strong emotional response, but to be fair, she's 12 and uh, I know that like as depicted like she has a really manipulative father who is kind Mm -hmm. of driving her to do a lot Mm -hmm. of the messed up stuff that she does Mm -hmm. um but she's just still insufferable and i didn't again she's 12 she's 12 this and she's She's a child she's she's a child uh i think the other thing that bum me out is because of the way that she interacts with magic. Um, because when I was talking about like that, that kind of quote unquote magic is very about trying to control and bend to your will, the natural world. Um, and clearly in her case, it's not working. Uh, as opposed to the kind of magic tradition that I really prefer, which is about power that comes from greater connection to the natural world and acceptance of it and understanding of it. You know what I mean? I mean, do you, I thought maybe you would like to talk a little about your teen exploration of the occult, but if you don't (laughs) want to, you don't have to. Um, But I did think about you a lot during this book. Um, Not that I would ever say that you were like Amanda, but you also had a very difficult emotional experience when you were a similar age. And you also found some of an outlet in some of the same supernatural interest. So when I, uh, when I was like a young, well, I was in high school, um, I was trying to get away from a like Christian uh, way of being. And I, I think that's another reason why uh, that kind of magic bums me mm-hmm. out is it, is mm-hmm. it, it's very much a mirror to Christianity uh, mm-hmm. and it uses a lot of um, tropes that Christianity has already bastardized in terms of spirituality and then like taking that form and then just grabbing it and using it as opposed to going back below and before the Christianity to get at like the true meaning of it. 
if right, that makes fundamentals. sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like a reskin. <laughs> yeah. And there's, there's definitely some like occult traditions today that I think are interesting, um, mm-hmm. that do very much play off of Christianity. So I definitely understand wanting to find something else and to build your own spirituality. Um, yeah. I always have shunned the like heavy ritualistic aspects of like, I don't, um, spellcraft, uh, Mm -hmm. stuff like that in favor of, um, more like meditative techniques. Um, because that's what makes me feel spiritual uh, and like connected to the universe. Um, but I started getting into Wicca, uh, when I was like 14. And so that was kind of me, uh, first stepping a toe into uh, the occult, into magic. And it's interesting because, I mean, clearly lots of other 14-year-old girls must have done the same because uh, now um, Wicca is has had quite a bit of a renaissance. Mm-hmm. Um, I will go put out there, though, that... It is very commercialized. Yeah. It, it has... It's, it's Instagram Wicca. Yeah. Um, yeah. And in in my opinion and how I think of this working, and I've, I've read it in a few different places, uh, so it's not like something I invented, um, but magic needs to be incredibly personal and it needs to be pretty secret because it's just for you. It's, Mm -hmm. it's about your own magic and you can, you can absolutely like talk to other people about it. You can like try to teach people about it. But I think that if you're teaching people, you're teaching them how to find their own magic, Mm -hmm. not how to take your magic for their own. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. So that's another thing where like, but you know, I I was a child once, and I'm sure that part of the reason I have a strong emotional response to it is because I recognize some of myself in it, and I'm happy that I've grown so much. And then that makes me want yeah. to be like, ah, like, no, I'm, I'm I can't relate to that. That's that's the olden times. I'm better now, which you know, I understand that that's problematic. Um, so yeah, and I yeah, and for <laughs> me, the bigger thing is. Amanda is like this because it's how she was taught by Leah. Like she's been manipulated into seeing her magical practice as only able to exist in this one really specific way. That's true. And Leah was also like her one friend, her only friend. She says like again and again, I had to move like right after I had finally made a friend. So Mm -hmm. she's also clinging to these practices from a social perspective at the same time her parents are divorcing her dad seems to be gaslighting her into believing that her mom is bad as much as he possibly can before she goes away to live with her Mm -hmm. full time because her dad doesn't want her to live with him which he like just flat out says like, well, I work too much and I'm too important for you. I can't take care of you. So let me try to destroy your relationship with the person who is going to take care of you. (laughs) Yeah. And she's so mired in her father's depiction of events and then Leah's depiction of how she can practice her religion, her magic, 
that she hasn't had any time opportunity or like freedom of resource, you know, availability of resources and freedom Mm -hmm. to actually determine what she wants those emotional relationships and practices to Mm -hmm. look like. And I think it becomes very clear once she's with the Stanley kids and she's able to um, learn more about these joyous ways to approach the natural world and the forces within it Mm -hmm. that she kind of says like, you know, actually I don't like animals. (laughs) I don't like newts. I'm not interested (laughs) in like quietly reflecting and like waiting for forces to speak to me. And like, maybe this actually isn't for me. Mm -hmm. And there's such a, like you said, she feels that everything has to look a certain way because that it's such a prescribed specific practice. Um, it's a good point. Whereas the Stanley kids show up in their initiation robes, which consist of old tennis socks and, um, like faded sweatshirts, um, that they've like, (laughs) they've tied their socks on with like ribbons to keep them from falling off. But they've followed the rules to a T. They have like a stolen item, which was really hard for them because he didn't actually want to steal. So they took their dad's old tennis socks that he would never notice for missing. (laughs) And uh, something that belonged to a dead person, which is their mom's jewelry Mm -hmm. um, that each of them is wearing. Um, And just the ways that they take away all of her like somber performative mystery that she thinks is what she has to do and then show her not only can practicing magic look like anything, Mm -hmm. being yourself can also look like anything. There isn't any one way that you have to be. So like... I see Amanda as a really tragic figure. I think she's spent a lot of her life alone. I think she doesn't really understand how to figure out who she is and like look at herself through her own lens. But also, if Zilpha hadn't written in the animal abuse, I would fight a lot harder for her. Yeah. No matter how bad things have been for you, I'm not okay with you kicking a cage that yeah. has a crow in it. That's really or the the big hurting problem. The crow with other her. times, yeah. which Blair mentions because he knows things and what's going on, and he has this connection to animals. Mm-hmm. He says to David, like Amanda hits the crow. Yep. Um, and you know David is disturbed by that, rightfully, because he's like, I know that Blair knows what he's talking about and he's not just rambling nonsense. So I think, I think Amanda is incredibly susceptible. I think she also has a lot of anger and I think she doesn't know what to do with it. And that has led her to behave in the ways in which she has. And I don't think she has the ability to even see her mom as a person, much less someone who is good and loving. And another important thing at the end that we didn't talk about is that she and her mom stay up talking all night. Oh yeah. And Amanda talks to David about it afterwards and says, we both found out a lot of things, which I thought was really a really important line. Yeah. And that they were both really communicating for the first time. Yeah. And instead I'm of sure just that, assuming. And I'm sure that Amanda is, like I said, operating under a lot of lies told to her by the parent that she saw as more desirable, largely because he is the unavailable parent. Like the Mm. one that's there is the one that is less appealing. And they're also the one that's going to be disciplining and the one who like doesn't want her hanging out with her friend who is clearly bad for her. Yeah, her her terrible friend. 
and like bringing a bunch of snakes <laughs> to the house, <laughs> which like that's a kind of different thing. Um, you know, I think they could probably find a way for her to like have a snake that wouldn't freak Molly out. But I, I <laughs> they, love they can't snakes. even talk. A, they can't even talk about it together because there's such a chasm between the two of them. So yeah. like to have all of that really worked through in just one summer and beyond that, a summer in which they're living with like this huge new family for the first time. I thought it was really impressive. And I'm sorry, the last thing I'll say, and then I'd like to hear your more of your thoughts, but you know, we're our parents divorced when we were in high school and our brother was Amanda and David's age. Um, when our so brother like, was Amanda. No, he was never. <laughs> no, not even. <laughs> no, no, no. no. <laughs> um, so there are also parallels there that I, uh, can really understand looking back on it. And if one of our parents within a year of that period had remarried into a family with four other children that we would have to move to a new place to go and live with. That would have been seven kids. That's seven. That's seven children, (laughs) y'all. That's two. (laughs) But just like, but just think about the situation like it's pretty cruel I mean Mm -hmm. Amanda having to do this is awful and I would act out too and I was like the most rule-abiding child in the world (laughs) to a fault (laughs) (laughs) and wait okay one more thing I also just like when I read about the passage when I read about Leah like those passages of what Leah told her to do and things like that I'm just really brought back to that place of like fear and social pressure of being young and there being like a scary friend who is trying to, you know, coerce you into doing something that you don't want to do. And that sounds so sinister when I say it, but like, I mean, anything like I'm very familiar with that. And it, it happened to me, I think when I was a younger age than you and for you an older age, well, obviously. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) But like, for example, like a neighbor kid being like, okay, so first we're going to make this perfume. And I was like, that's fun. Like we're just mixing, you know, flowers and water and crap in the Mm -hmm. backyard. Yeah. And then she was like, and now we're going to, now we're going to walk door to door and sell it. And I was like, uh, (laughs) no, we're not. (laughs) Hard pass. I am not doing that. That is against like literally everything I've ever been taught. And Stranger Danger was very strong with me as as a child born in 1987. It was like the peak of that movement. Um, I can't. Yeah, I can't tell you how young I was the first time I saw one of those videos at school. What's the dog's name? Officer McGruff. Ruff McGruff. Ruff McGruff. Yeah. Ruff McGruff. Um, Cop dog. Take a bite out of crime. (laughs) (laughs) I used to memorize the houses that had rough McGruff signs up in the windows because I knew that those were safe places that I could run to if someone was, I don't know, like actively molesting me on the street. Like, yeah, because they only let really good people, you know, take one of those stickers from the newsstand. (laughs) I know you need to go through months of morality (laughs) testing. (laughs) They take your family away if you don't pass. (laughs) Anyway, I I was, I said no. And, you know, I was at her house. So then I was like, I guess I'll try to like walk home. (laughs) It was not near our house. Anyway, it led to more danger and scary things. But 
it's so challenging in those moments. And for her to have been like pretty clearly completely alone and like a weird person, you know, someone who's like interested in giving themselves over to something and just kind of actively seeking what it is. It makes me think of why people get into cults. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's the same mechanism. It's very true. Yeah. Okay. I'm done for now. And I, I was extremely easy to manipulate as yeah. a, geez, I don't even know. Sometimes I still think I am. I've definitely gotten a lot better um, as I get more confidence and learn to like think about things myself instead of just trusting that someone who I want to like me it has the right idea about it. Um, but I was always like I had so many terrible situations I got into because someone who uh, I thought was my friend wanted me to do the thing. And I so, so desperately wanted to be liked by my peers um, because I spent a long time with them uh, very clearly disliking me, ostracizing me, telling me, like laughing whenever I said something like I was like, I don't know. They just really liked to make fun of me for a long time. And then I, so I had a super unhealthy relationship uh, with like my peers going forward. And when you are a vulnerable person that attracts predators. And another reason that not Amanda again specifically, but like her situation made me think of you was because you were, this was also happening to you when you were like in high school and like the beginning of high school. So I feel like I was, I was that, 14 when I, uh, I was freshman in high school when I started, yeah. but the, I was going to well, say but, that's when I started with the Wicca stuff. I like, that was not related to my peers being terrible to no, me. <laughs> I know that's no, but I'm, I'm saying, I'm just saying like when you're older and these kinds of situations are coming up, then you like the things that you're being coerced to do become increasingly worse. You know what I mean? Where it's like, maybe that is on par at that age with walking door to door to strangers' houses, trying to sell perfume when you're like seven. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, for sure. Um, But it just comes off as like more innocuous. But then as you get older, the dares, the... Taunts like everything becomes more serious and dangerous mm-hmm. and more and, traumatizing <laughs> and more traumatizing. And I think that's what Amanda is really on the edge of where like she wants to hurt her mom so badly, but she doesn't even know why. And when David asks her, why did you want to do this? She says revenge and he says revenge against who? And she says against everyone for everything. Yeah. So really what I just want, like, I'm not blaming Molly. I do think she needed to course, not course correct, but like step in a bit more. Yeah. No, I, I noticed that a she bit earlier, she was kind maybe, of just afraid of Amanda. Yes. She's definitely afraid of her. And dad is clearly like a stricter parent because David says to him, he's like, yeah, if we talk to you the way Amanda does, you would have blasted us. This is a really funny word. Yeah. And it's obvious that it's not like physical punishment. It no, just, it's, yeah, he did not mean been... you would have shot us. <laughs> <laughs> I think you just meant he would have like put them on blast. 
Right. Exactly. <laughs> and like there are instances like Janie gets time out at one point and like he, there's another moment where David describes his dad voice, his dad's voice as like crackling when mm-hmm. he is, you know, getting frustrated with the kids not talking to him or listening to him because Amanda's making them go through these rituals that are like point by point. Hey, are you a troubled kid who wants to make your parents feel bad? Try these tasks. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, like not talking to them, um, just behaving in like confusing ways, the kind of stuff that like um, really misguided, like, is your teen on drugs pamphlets are made about? You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, this book is clearly thought provoking. <laughs> Also, you know, reading this as a kid, it was pretty clear, like it it was an, you know, it's an easy book to read and feel a lot about when you're a kid, but you're not looking at the nuance. Um, Hated Amanda, loved David. I think I am David. I'll talk about that a little bit in a moment. Um, And also loved the depiction of siblings who really love just like hanging out together. I mean, the Stanley kids reminded me a lot of you and me and Patrick as children and the way that we played Mm -hmm. um, and our total disinterested and inability to connect with others outside of our group. But yeah, I think that at least, I mean... For some of us, the spectrum disorder is not helpful. (laughs) No, totally. And I don't mean to disregard that, but we were also like very content, getting very absorbed in the Mm -hmm. worlds that we created. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And Zelfa Keatley Snyder writes from a child's perspective better than almost anyone I've ever read. I think a lot of that comes from the fact that she was a teacher for so many years, an elementary school teacher, and she understands how children's minds work. And I think a lot of times when, you know, critics say about a children's author, like they really know how to write to the child that it's in this like condescending way, but Zelda Keatley Snyder captures and articulates these emotional and intellectual moments that you experience as a child that are really difficult to pinpoint mm-hmm. either as a child or as an adult. Um, I mean, she's obviously an incredibly talented writer, but the specificity that she achieves is always really incredible to me. Like I loved the moment when David is talking about his dead mom and how she had some connection to the supernatural world. And he says that once he asked her if she believed in ghosts and she said, actually, she just didn't disbelieve in anything and that that Hmm. made the world more exciting. Yeah. And that really spoke to me as a kid and does now too. And that's kind of like the attitude I've always sort of strived for, like, allowing all things and not counting anything out, not in a conspiracy theory way. Unfortunately, these days, I feel like you can't say something like that without uh, things going downhill quickly, but just allowing for the full spectrum of natural possibility that can occur between humans and within our world. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I also loved... (laughs) moment when David's talking about Janie and Amanda's like was she scared do you think she was scared because Amanda's always trying to like titillate and frighten the other kids with her nonsense Mm -hmm. and David says 
oh, she's scared, but she kind of enjoys being scared. The best day Janie ever had was once when she almost got run over by a car. She must have told everybody all about it a thousand times. And I was like, I know that kid. (laughs) (laughs) And Janie reminded me of you as a kid, actually, a lot of times during the story. And Janie is amazing. I like Janie a lot. I mean, that is the highest compliment. I feel that for sure. I was a really um, happy, bouncy, excitable little kid. Super gregarious, um, super open with your stories and your Mm -hmm. thoughts. We'd go to the playground and you'd have like five new friends immediately. Yeah, I was great at making friends when I was uh, six years old. Yeah, I was not. <laughs> I didn't speak. I was more of the Blair persuasion. Well, I um, I lost my friend making ability from age like I don't know, twelve to twenty five. So. <laughs> no, totally <laughs> ebbs and flows, my friend. Um, and these then days the last... I get so many messages that sometimes I'm just like, I what's why did I want all these friends? <laughs> Boo friendship. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's it's nice. It's just a lot. You know, communications to keep up on. And the last really specific kid moment I wanted to mention was this quote. When David woke up after a scary night, he's thinking about the poltergeist. He's getting really freaked out. He's having like echoes of his premonitions. And he says, it was the kind of clear, bright day that makes everything look very solid and sharply defined and unmysterious. Mm. The kind of day that makes you wonder how on earth you could have even imagined the weird stuff that you believed in at midnight. Yeah. Which is like a pretty simple concept, but I think it's just really articulated so well. And throughout the whole book, it's this ongoing tension of... Is there supernatural powers at work in this house or not? And then also, do I want there to be mm-hmm. or not? Yeah. Like all of the kids are very back and forth about it, um, which totally makes sense because it's both very fun and genuinely very frightening. There, There is a, in the house where we currently live, where we have to move in a few months because they're going to knock it down and build condos here. Uh, there is a unaccessible second floor uh it's a hundred year old house it's very spooky and there's 15 foot ceilings in the bedroom and in the bedroom closet and if you open the bedroom closet and look way up there is a um i usually describe it as a the grudge style attic opening (laughs) uh and there's just like a plank over it like on the inside uh like if we could get up there we could like you know push it up and see what's in there but the creepiest thing is that there's a window there's a the completely dark black window on the point that the the second floor comes to easily seen from the outside i look at that window Every time I come home, every time, and I don't know. It's like the country house attic. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah, the country house. We we lived by a famously haunted building for a while when it, we were growing up. It de- definitely gives me that vibe. Um, and I don't know if I want to see a face or if I don't. I always look. <laughs> you guys, um, I mean, since they're literally tearing your house down as soon as you move out, I really think you should chop a hole in the ceiling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm really a 
afraid to open the hatch. I feel like a bunch of like brown recluse spiders will probably just dump on us, which is, you know, more serious than ghosts. They are very Finally, <laughs> yeah. someone triggered the spider bucket. Madeline! <laughs> it's just like why I can't go in the ocean because the sharks are waiting. All right. <laughs> Getting off track here. <laughs> I love snakes. I don't like spiders very much, although I'm getting better on them, and I'm deathly afraid of sharks. The sharks you one I feel like is reasonable. You literally said all of this in our last episode. I'm going to say it every episode going forward. <laughs> Let everyone know. It's like, wow, Madeline really is working on getting better on spiders. <laughs> sharks, okay, no. I, before we leave the like emotional situation the hour-long summary and uh (laughs) emotional debrief well i just want to say like i relate to david so much i just being the oldest in a family and having like younger kids that need you to yeah parent them to some extent um like you i'm just (laughs) kidding (laughs) (laughs) um also like being the one that the parents have the serious conversations with like his dad kept doing that to them, him. And every time I was like, dad, leave him alone. Yeah. Let him play. Yeah. Like, I just really feel for him. Also, David is a Libra. <laughs> just like <laughs> me. <laughs> when Amanda asks him his sign, he's like, what's, what's that? And she's like, when's your birthday? And he says, October 2nd. And she goes, that explains everything. And I'm like, Libra power, baby. <laughs> We're too busy pleasing people and having fun. Okay. And his clear intellectual approach to studying what it means to have like a cool look and be cool. And he talks about this dude named Skip that he goes to school with who's like the coolest kid at school. Oh, yeah, I forgot about (laughs) Skip always has like a detached air of not caring about him. He can't care about anything. Right. And because Amanda has such a studied, like, cold look and what he calls her upside down smile, which mm. I imagine to be like a smirk. Yeah. Um, just kind of like a knowing, disrespectful smirk for everyone around her. And David's like, yeah. He's we're not really interested. Now. Yeah, we're smirking. <laughs> He's not really interested in, like, doing it for himself but he's just kind of curious about it as like a scholar (laughs) yeah and then he has a cool look later in the book that he can tell is a cool look but he recognizes that it's because he's seething with anger and trying not to let that explode out of him yes um cold cold anger is uh cold anger very powerful anger anger (laughs) is powerful and he's channeling his in much healthier ways than amanda is yeah she learns how to work on that mm-hmm. so anyway i just loved david um david's he pretty was great really magnificent and yeah. like as the only male protagonist in the zksht um <laughs> zksht um i welcome him and appreciate him and he's a real cutie and him and blair like hanging out and having a these really meaningful conversations, you know, like a four-year-old and an 11-year-old. It's it's similar to the age difference between me and my brother, whom obviously I love very much. Shout out, Patrick. You will never hear this. (laughs) (laughs) You don't. If you do hear Um, this, tell me you heard me and saw you. But just Zelfa's 
books just really take me back in a very powerful way. Every time I read one, I like uncover childhood memories that I haven't thought about in 25 years. Mm. Um, and like the way that she evokes that while also building these really dense atmospheric experiences that work on all levels, like for every age, I just think is unparalleled. Yeah. So I think we already covered a lot about the specific magic system in the book and the variety of systems that can exist. Yeah. Um, But I did just want to give a shout out to the way that Zilva Keeley Snyder is able to toe the line between fantasy and a world that we could conceivably live in. And I think that's one reason why her writing is so appealing because it really brings out the possibility of magic in our world and the ways that you can unlock it and pay attention to it, mm-hmm. um, which I know is something that we're both very invested in. Yeah. Um, yeah. Hence the pod and yeah. everything else about me. <laughs> no, you're right. I, I appreciated this too. And the fact that it even made me think so much about why I didn't like why there were problems with like Amanda's magic, um, Mm -hmm. like giving me the chance to kind of like parse through that and think about how I feel about it myself was definitely very valuable. And the fact that it made me think about Tamsin a lot, which is like one of my favorite ghost stories I've ever read now, I would say. And that book has many more classic fantasy trappings about it and you know specifically features the wild hunt um and this one is really just about a bunch of kids in a house and one of the kids sees and can talk to a ghost (laughs) but that always happens off screen yeah um and this is the same kid who amanda is trying to do her aptitude test (laughs) their occult aptitude test and it consists of them saying whether a card that they're just seeing the back of is either red or black. And Blair says, it's a whole lot of little Valentines. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And Amanda gets annoyed with him and is like, see, he doesn't even know what I'm doing. And David looks at the card and it's the nine of hearts. And he's like, he probably would have said nine if he knew how to count that Right, yeah. (laughs) Such a good moment. (laughs) There's so many... uh, LOL moments in this book. Like I laughed a lot while reading it. And that's why it's a really nice counterpart to the, I mean, much more menacing witches of worm and then very fun, but also very menacing Egypt game because there is a serial killer in that book who targets children. That's a little scary. That's just a little bit scary. Not great, Bob. (laughs) Um, this book at the you know there's never any real physical danger unless a rock hits you. Yeah, I was a little concerned about that. And the vibe is like this really jolly ghosty one. Yeah. So I yeah definitely recommend all of y'all reread this or yeah. read it for the first time. Yeah, and it's a pretty quick read. I think. Maybe we should kind of skip animals just like animals in this book. We got really upset about the crow already. We already um, did it. We, we I discussed do. the animals and their poor treatment in this book. <laughs> I do want to give a special mention to when Janie is wetting her salamander at the sink. Yeah. And she says, if I don't wet him, he'll die. Yeah. <laughs> Molly screams because she's like, no. Like, why do you have a salamander at the sink? <laughs> and Janie is so calmly like, I'm wetting my salamander. Yeah. I, She's I taking love good any, care of her salamander. 
she is. And this is one reason why I like dad. He clearly encourages the love of and respect for wild creatures. Yeah. Although they do all also feel pretty comfortable with capturing one and putting it in their shirts all day. True. <laughs> when David's talking to Molly and she's like, snakes are the worst one. I can't even think about being near a snake. And he's like, don't get it back up my yeah. sleeve, buddy. <laughs> get it back in my clothes, snake. <laughs> There's a snake don't actively trying to come out of him. Luckily, they know enough about so good. those things not to pick up any poison ones. And the way that they never actually, like, Molly doesn't get scared by the reptiles, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, or amphibians. Because <laughs> they don't um, want to scare her. Yeah. No, the way that they're, like, trying to go about the pranks while also respecting their parents. <laughs> so sweet. Yeah. I, I, I love it. Yeah. That's yeah. very cute. Pretend food? Pretend food. Pancakes? Pretend food. Food. Yes. So we get the pancakes that Amanda guilt trips Molly into making only to make the challenge that the children can't touch metal all day more difficult um, because they, David has been trying to figure out these, like he changes Molly's alarm clock, which is not great. Oh which is not great. If a child did that to me and I woke up and was like, I set my alarm for 45 minutes later, I'd be like scheduling an appointment with a neurologist. <laughs> yeah. Be, like very disturbed. I would be upset. Um, yes. Uh, but Amanda comes down and says, I really want pancakes. Mom, will you make me pancakes? Mm. Now I care so, about you. So David manages to send Molly away after she's finished making the pancakes. And then David picks up all the silverware in a dish towel so the kids wouldn't forget and touch it. Then he buttered and jammed all the pancakes with a rubber plate scraper and let the kids eat them with their fingers. It worked fine with just jam, but Janie insisted on having syrup too. And the (sighs) whole thing got very messy. (laughs) But they make it through. They make it through the whole day, even at dinner when their dad is noticing that they're eating with mittens, they're like fuzzy rabbit mittens, insane. Um, <laughs> with their hands. David just scoops his food into a plastic bag to enjoy later. It's great. It's great. I love that. I love mm-hmm. all of their solutions yeah. that day. It's really, really fun. They're great problem solvers. All of them are. <laughs> they're so resourceful. Yeah. Very intelligent. Also, they they even make weeding fun because Janie decides that she is battling the oncoming uh, hordes yeah. in the um, thistle patch. Yeah. <laughs> Blair, when he is first feeding the crow, um, feeds the crow liverwurst. <laughs> Because Blair because loves he liverwurst. loves liverwurst, <laughs> and he's always carrying pieces of it around in his pockets. He liverwurst to not me great. is such a staple of the children's literature that I read. It got mentioned a lot. I think so. Liver is in the Ramona books a lot, and then liverwurst more specifically is in a lot of the like English books that I read. Liverwurst um, is just is like pate, right? Liverwurst is like bologna made with liver it's like a processed sliced meat so it, yeah it is kind of pate like but it's it's, well, it's made of liver together. right yeah. yeah yeah so it's it's like a you know a disc <laughs> like blair would have like a little disc of liver burst in his pocket which is interesting i mean i've 
I love pate. I love liver. Like I could eat it all day, but that's interesting that it was like a kid's thing. Um, I guess it's very high in protein. Well, and, and I think it, I think it's like, you know, sandwich meat, like yeah. sliced sandwich meat. I mean, I've never carried around a little piece of turkey in my pocket, but I wouldn't say no. Cause organ meat is very nutritious and it's and delicious. Yeah. If it's like a waste product, especially it makes sense that they would like turn it into a hot dog type deal. Well, and now this means that when we do our special Babe Trion Pretend Food episode, (laughs) we're going to have to put little slices of liverwurst (laughs) in our pockets. (laughs) Oh my God. We're method acting. (laughs) Daniel Day-Lewis or nothing. No, our pockets are going to take my podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Then the last food that I wanted to give special mention to is when... David and Amanda make dinner for everybody because the, uh, you know, mom, Molly and her friend Ingrid, her practical friend Ingrid, who no one likes, get (laughs) stuck with car trouble on the way back from the vague city that is an hour away. London or San Francisco or, you know, (laughs) New York, wherever to say. Yeah. Dinner was quite unusual that night, partly because the hamburger was a little burnt and the peas were raw, but also because of the way Amanda acted when there were no adults there. She talked and laughed and fought with Janie in a friendly way about whether raw vegetables were better for you than cooked ones. And this is also an important moment because it's one of the, you know, earlier times when we're seeing that Amanda really genuinely likes being around the little kids. This is after she reads to them Mm. and she tries to be as dramatic as possible and like capture their interest. And then David mentions that she keeps bringing up the fact that she's like, the kids really liked it when I was reading. (laughs) Which is like, those are are good sources of, you know, ways to feel self-confidence and pride. Yeah. Yeah. So that I, I enjoyed that. And it is fun reading aloud to kids yeah. for sure. No, definitely. Um, except when they're like, let's read that book for the fourth time. Teletubbies style. Fourth time today. <laughs> <laughs> and that scene also makes me think of when you and I would make dinner for ourselves and end up with kind of funny results. But we'd be so proud and excited that we, that we would- made food gobble it all up yeah. pasta made by those who don't yes. know how to make it baby that was our tagline for our we cooking, had a cooking show. theme song <laughs> we would sing <laughs> i won't sing it now it's sacred yes thank you let's wrap up by selecting our badass ladies there are many wonderful badass ladies in this book and you know, el- not eligible. What's the word I'm looking for? Um, honorary badass ladies as well. Would you like to go first or shall I? Yeah, I really want to give mine to Blair. I'm just breaking the gender convention this no, time. Please. We, we do it often. Okay. I um, love Blair. Yeah. He's also like uh, an incredibly beautiful child, right. which is a really funny detail. They say he looks like a cherub on a Christmas card. Yeah. Yeah. Like when they start describing him and I'm like, oh, is he going to be like, what's his deal going to be? And then it's like, oh, he's gorgeous. <laughs> he looks And perfect. Molly says she can't paint him because he just looks like a little cherub every time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is great. Um, and I really, really appreciate Blair's, uh, great wisdom at the ripe old age of four. And uh, I yeah, would Blair's like, amazing. yeah, I would like to 
give Blair uh, a number of familiars that get to live in a aviary or an avian sanctuary uh, rather than in a small cage. Ending it on crow respect. Yes. As I would expect. Respect for crows. I'm going to give mine to a hybrid. I'm giving it to the the two moms of the family, David and Molly. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, fair. I I hope that's okay because they're they're filling the same role and supporting each other along the way. I'm not going to push take, back on it. I do take issue with it because David is a child and I think his dad should be more involved in home life. Yeah. But I also understand that they don't have a ton of money and a big part of the reason why it's it, there's there's like a whole big discussion about his dad going on the three-week field trip or yeah, not because it and means David's more listening. money yeah and he hears them saying like we could really use that money and the fact that they moved into an old house and have to replace everything I went through that yep. two years ago yep 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 <laughs> The water heater broke the week we moved in. So that's a great time when you definitely have a lot of extra money laying around. And the um, attic was like a rat kingdom, right? It was Mount Mount Bat Pit and Mount Rat Pit. <laughs> you listen to our moss flower episode. <laughs> Combination of the two. Rats and bats just frolicking and making their way. Pooping everywhere. My rating for David and Molly is a nice big lamb chop feast that neither of them has to cook for themselves. Lamb chops are David's favorite, um, and he doesn't get to enjoy a hot meal that night because he has to scoop his food into a bag (laughs) and eat it in his room later, and it burns his leg (laughs) as well. burn his leg. And Molly yeah. <laughs> Molly mentions how scary it is learning to cook for a gigantic family in an ancient kitchen. And the way they describe it is like it still has the original appliances and it's hundreds of years old, which is like very cool, but also not very practical. Difficult. Like I can. So an Difficult. original like old timey oven would be really cool to use. Uh, but also very, a lot of work. (laughs) Yeah. And I want, I want someone else to make a nice dinner for them. And it's just the two of them. And they're not like talking about taking care of the kids or like managing the family. They're having like boys and moms night out. Mother boy. Mother boy. (laughs) So yeah. Enjoy David and Molly moms. Yes. And that. I think does it for the headless Cupid by Zilpha Keatley Snyder. I've, I've covered all of my notes somehow this, uh, I think we're on our way to breaking episode length records every week. Yes. Somehow. Yes. <laughs> Even though this book is so short. I love it. Yeah. 200 page book. Thank you all for listening. We appreciate you so much. If you'd like an extra episode every month, it's just $3 to join our babe Treon. You will become a dragon baby. This month's episode is going to be about the BBC's adaptation of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Canonically, the it. only Lion, the Witch, and Wardrobe adaptation ever yes, exists. Absolutely. It is terrifying. It is amazing. I took it out from Blockbuster constantly as a child. <laughs> 
head on over to enjoy that. It's not out yet, but it will be probably around the time this. Okay, maybe it'll be out when this comes out. We'll see. And remember to check out my Instagram. Pig and Doodles is my handle. P-I-G, the letter N, D-O-O-D-L-E-S. Uh, art, pig, random stuff. Pit. Check Pig it out. is your dog. Pig is my dog. <laughs> Our next book will be Weird Sisters by Terry Pratchett. Terry Pratchett. Heading back to Discworld. It's been too long. I need to pick me up. I need to spend some time with some witches. Maybe yeah. I'll sip tea from my nanny Og mug while we record. Yes. <laughs> that sounds great. And I will contact Death to have a conversation with him about cats. Great. We'll both be <laughs> prepped and ready. <laughs> You can find us on Instagram at Dragon Babies Podcast, on Twitter at Dragon Babies Pod, and on our website, DragonBabiesPodcast.com. I'm Grace. And I'm Madeline. Until next time. Goodbye.